What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Race fans, it's time to buckle in and listen to the fastest hour in racing radio. Your driver is a multi-time NASCAR winner and Hall of Famer, Mark Martin. We cover racing, grassroots, history, we bench race, we talk life, and most importantly, we smash the loud pedal. It's time to turn some laps on the Mark Martin Podcast. All right, race fans, episode number three of the Mark Martin Podcast. If you've been listening, we want to thank all of the race fans from across the United States and the world that have come to markmartinpodcast.com. Again, if you don't have the chance to listen uh, right away, you can go to the website markmartinpodcast.com. You can also listen to it via Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spreaker. One thing about that, make sure you give us a five-star rating. We want that five-star rating. What that does is it helps us get up in the search rankings and things like that so race fans are able to find the podcast much easier. On episode three of the Mark Martin Podcast, we're going to talk about a a spring story at the end, but first we're going to answer questions from Twitter Mark Martin, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Barry. So this uh, podcast has now started to take off. You're starting to get some traction. You're getting people interested. Episode three, how are, are you How are you feeling about it at this point? Well, I'm pretty excited. Um, you know, the response has been just fantastic, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I didn't know what to expect and um, kind of put it off for quite a while. Uh, you know, I wasn't, wasn't sure how it was going to how it was going to be but it it's a lot of fun the interaction that we have with the fans the questions and and all that we're getting the the response has been fantastic and you know it's going to be a lot of fun it's going to be a journey i've got uh, i've got stories upon stories upon stories and we're not able to share those this is a perfect platform to be able to share them uh with our fans because i just didn't have didn't have a way to share those those stories and experiences with uh, with our fans uh, before we did this. Speaking of uh, talking with the fans, you can go and follow Mark Martin on Twitter at Mark Martin. You can also follow him on Instagram at one the number one one Mark Martin, and on Facebook at official Mark Martin. But this episode three of the Mark Martin podcast is sponsored by MarkMartin.com. You can go there and get all of your Mark Martin merchandise. You can get autographed items. And Mark, you have a new throwback Valvoline t-shirt. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's uh, we're really excited about that. Um, my son, Matt, has been working uh, at the at the merchandise store, uh, getting things uh, in order there, improving uh, a lot of our, uh, our 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 website and a lot of the operations there and stuff. And he's also been in charge of uh, adding new exciting merchandise. And uh, the latest uh, the latest addition is our Valvoline Six uh, Retro Vintage uh, uh, T-shirt uh, from the mid '90s uh, vintage and it has been a big hit. 
it is uh it's really cool it seems like the fans are really responding to you know to that we've got a five-time irock champion uh with all five cars and all we've got that shirt and that's been really strong for us and and also the old uh asa car uh that we're going to be talking about later the orange and white number two car we got merchandise with uh with that car as well but this valvoline uh, shirt we just uh just hit the website uh monday and it has been rocking and rolling another thing we want to talk about is uh one of arlene's favorite the hall of fame yeti rambler that just uh was added not too long ago on markmartin.com let's talk about that quick yeah uh you know that's another project of of matt's uh i would have never uh you know i'm i'm not Hooked on the Yeti thing, um, not up to speed on all that. I've got my head in my sand, head in the sand, I guess. But he said uh, he said that 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 would be popular, and it 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 has been. Uh, they've flown off the shelves. I think there's one left, uh, but we we have some. We have another new one coming out. Uh, so stay tuned and keep your eye out for this next next Yeti. Uh, with a different design and, and maybe a, a color and all, I think it's going to blow everybody away. And again, markmartin.com is the website that's also home to the Mark Martin Museum and Gift Shop. You have the Fan Appreciation Days coming on April 27th and 28th. What happens out there in Batesville? Well, uh, Fan Appreciation, uh, this is our 14th annual. Uh, so on Friday, the 27th at uh, at at our Power Sports store here in Batesville, we're going to be having a free barbecue. Everybody, uh, you know, is able to come and have lunch with us. And just hang out, uh, talk talk racing, um, and and have a good time. Uh, take pictures, sign autographs, whatever the fans want to do. And then uh, that evening, we're going out to uh, Batesville Speedway, and. Uh, uh, for some great comp cam racing out there. So we'll be going out. I'll be going out, hanging out in the, in, in the grandstands with, uh, with the fans out there for, for that, uh, event. So that'll be really fun. And then, and then Saturday at the museum, uh, we'll be doing the same thing, free lunch for everybody. Uh, and then just autographs and photographs, uh, whatever people want to do, talk more racing. And at six o'clock, we're going to have Jack Roush and my crew chief, uh, from the nineties, Jimmy Finnig, uh, there to sign autographs and to talk some real, uh, smack about, uh, the old days and what the, the, the big times that we had with, with our fans. So that evening will really, really be fun with, uh, Jack and Jimmy. Uh, I, I didn't realize until I got inducted into the NASCAR hall of fame that Jimmy Finney was my crew chief for over 50% of my, uh, of my cup wins, which I didn't realize. I knew that he was with me a lot, but we won an ASA championship together, uh, and won, uh, about 10 ASA races, a bunch of short track races. And then, uh, and then in the cup series, we, uh, he and I combined one, uh, well over half of my, my wins were with Jimmy. So once again, race fans, the Mark Martin appreciation days, it's April 27th and 28th in Batesville, Arkansas. It's the natural state. Go down there, get a preview of the race for hope on uh, Saturday night, hang out with Jack and and Jimmy and Mark, as they tell stories, it's going to be a good weekend. And we're going to talk about the fans uh, once again last weekend. 
you went to I-30 Speedway in Little Rock, and you had a good old time over there. Yeah, it was good. Uh, you know, I raced down there every Saturday night back in 1975, and I hadn't been on that racetrack since. And uh, uh, so we it was a great event, packed stands. The crowd was was amazing. Um, it was a, it was a benefit, uh, for the, the Will McGarry foundation, uh, who was a, a, a fallen, uh, police officer from Conway, Arkansas. And so this foundation, uh, does a lot of things to support, uh, the law enforcement officers in Arkansas. We had a great turnout and I drove a police car with the lights on around the racetrack first, First, before I got out there, I climbed up, uh, you know, on the tower. I wanted to look at the track because it had been so long since I'd raced there and see what it looked like. And it looked different. I was asking them, is, is the racetrack bigger than it was or whatever? No, it's the same, you know. And so I got in the in the, in the the police car with the lights on, and I, I uh, made the pace lap. And as soon as we rolled out on the racetrack, I said, oh, yeah, it's coming back to me. It's all coming back to me. So it was uh, it was a really cool experience. And I just want to thank all the fans that came out to support uh, such a great event. And, and those those fans are the fans we're looking for to, to get them to come to Race for Hope, uh, our Race for Hope at, here in Batesville, September 20, 25th or 29th. That's, uh, you know, that's uh, that's my signature event. That That is the event that I've been working on all year, every day since uh since our last race for hope for this year this one is going to be over the top and if you want to follow information on that race for hope race go to at race for hope on facebook twitter and instagram but speaking of twitter mark we're going to get into some fan questions this is a, a thing that you're starting to have a lot of fun with yeah you know i like to interact with the fans and there's so many so many fans on on twitter i can't you really interact with all of them. So this gives us a chance to, to have even more interaction. So I really enjoy it. So we're going to get into the questions. If you want to uh, send a question for future episodes of the Mark Martin podcast at Mark Martin pod POD at Mark Martin pod on Twitter. First question I got for you, Mark is from uncle Rico on Twitter. Favorite ASA short track in Wisconsin that you raced on. And toughest competitor week in and week out during your your years running ASA. No, I uh, I saw that question earlier. That's an easy answer. Uh, they uh, the racetrack is is Slinger was Super Speedway in Slinger, Wisconsin. My absolute favorite. Eleven second lap times around a a, a quarter mile super high banked racetrack. It was uh, just so much fun. Uh, my very favorite and, uh, hands down, Dick trickle was the toughest, uh, to handle, uh, week in, week out. The guy was so tenacious. Speaking of Wisconsin, uh, at Jason or JLH eight, four, two, zero, zero, zero. Jason Hammond asks, since we are approaching the anniversary of Alan Quickie's death, do you have any good Alan Quickie stories? <laughs> well, uh, thanks for the question, Jason. I, you know, I, I do have some Alan Quickie stories. Um, so I was racing NASCAR in 1983 and Alan was still up in Wisconsin racing short tracks. And, and so he called me and says, Hey, I'm going to come down for the race. 
the world, you know, the Coca-Cola world six six hundred. So I said, well, you can stay with me. So Alan uh, comes down. He comes to the house. Uh, the next morning, we're getting ready to go to the racetrack the first day for practice and qualifying. And, um, I, you know, he's going to follow me out to the racetrack. And if you, if anybody knows me, they know I'm wide open, like the throttles hung wide open all the time. And, and if anybody knew Alan, he was very slow and calculated. And so, uh, Alan picks up the newspaper in the driveway and he puts it in his car and he follows me along you know, we come to a traffic light and, uh, the traffic light, you know, is red and we're sitting there when it turns green, I drive across the, uh, the intersection. I look back, he's sitting in the middle of the Charlotte traffic, reading the newspaper, uh, with the traffic all lined up behind him. So I have to pull over and wait for him to come through. So, you know, we were like the odd couple for sure, but, uh, nonetheless, enormous respect for one another another question from db giant dean bentley asked and i'm i'm probably sure you've seen this one because of the photos he asks uh, how much did you learn about short track aerodynamics during the 1980 new samirna world series well dean is a great follow on on twitter uh, he posts amazing old short track photos and uh is a great resource for me to uh you know, for photographs as, as well as, uh, memories. Uh, so yeah, he know Dean knows this, uh, Gary Ballou had really, uh, started to get into aerodynamics, uh, you know, by, by the time 1980 rolled around and I had two, I mean, my cars always had, you know, uh, better spoilers and, and, and better body looking bodies on them than most, most of my competition. Uh, but we had just designed, uh, the new Dylan Mark II chassis and we're going to debut it down at, at new Smyrna. And it was, the chassis was certainly ahead of its time, but when I rolled it out of the trailer, it had a fairly modest body on it. Like most everything that we saw running in 79 and Gary had the Batmobile there. Um, and so the first night, I, you know, uh, I didn't have time to do anything but run my car. And of course I didn't run up to my standards. So, uh, the next morning I got up early and I took a saw to my race car and cut the back end off of it and got the back end in, in, uh, in the same zip code as Gary's car. And we ran that night. That's all I had time. I mean, it was all day job rebuilding the back of the car and I didn't have time to touch the front. So we ran that that way that night. I didn't run good that night either because the front wasn't done. So then the next morning I got up early and uh, whacked the whole front end and extended it and widened it and made it bad. And, and the race was on the rest of Speed Weeks. Uh, from that point on, um, you know, I was 100% sold on, on – on, arrow and i would say the race was on between gary Ballou, myself and junior hanley to see who could build the wildest uh wildest bodies or push the body rules to the limits in other words if the rule if there was a rule governing how tall a spoiler could be but not how uh high it could be off the ground then we just kept jacking it jacking it up you know or whatever the gray areas really worked on the gray areas. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So speaking of the gray areas, now we're going to bring it into the current day. And uh, a driver that you're involved with, uh, at least the Mark Martin Ford dealership is involved with, is Jonathan Davenport, another team that really pushes those gray areas. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's what makes them winners. Uh, Jonathan and, uh, and, and Kevin Rumley uh, in 2015 won $700,000 racing a late model dirt car. And, uh, I told, uh, Lance Landers, my partner in the dealerships that, uh, in order for, for him, uh, and his team to be able to compete, he was going to have to hire an engineer. And of course there wasn't an engineer available. So, uh, finally for 2018, uh, Lance just decided to hire, hire them both the driver and, and, and the engineer. So, uh, Those guys, yeah, those guys are on top of their game. Of course, they're racing against, you know, uh, Josh Richards and and uh, Scott Bloomquist and uh, you know some pretty pretty serious hot dogs. So uh, that Lucas Oil Dirt Series is man, is it competitive and it is a lot of fun. Those cars are a beast. So going back to the ASA stuff, we've got a question from Dave Kirkland at Dave Kirkland six. What happened to your ASA slash Artgo cars? Did you sell them? Uh, did you have just one car in those days, or was there a backup? That's a great question. Um, so we always had to sell them uh, in order to, you know, have the funding that we needed to go forward. Uh, we ran uh, uh, a car for a full season back then. In 77, it was one car for a full season. 78 was one car. 79 was one car. In 1980, it was two cars. And in 1981, I had two cars because I had two different, I had to have two different bodies, an ASA legal body and then a ARTGO legal body, which was a lot more slack on the rules. So it had a lot, you know, it made more downforce. So uh, I had two cars at that time. And, uh, and so, There aren't any of those left. Uh, the 1979 ASA championship car is in the museum. Um, 
at uh, left-hander chassis uh, has a uh, museum and uh, up there and it is in a museum up there in Rockford. Um, So Wayne Lensing actually purchased the car years and years and years ago and it is on display there at his museum in Rockford. So we're going to get to some NASCAR questions now from Greg. Uh, GJ Allen 8, he asks, was there ever any pushback from Ford or any other sponsors about you running the IROC series, mainly since you were driving a Pontiac? There wasn't a lot of pushback. I mean, you know, there, there might have been a little bit of grumbles, but uh, everyone understood that that was uh, uh, an amazing and incredible honor to be uh invited to compete in the international race of champions and um i you know like i said there was a little bit of heartburn but not enough to slow me down all right and going into another question from the dlmm fan donnie l ask and this is going to be a tough one for you mark maybe talk about the penalty for the carb spacer in 1990 Seems it passed all inspections until a certain someone complained about it after the race. You know, this is a subject that's not real. I'm not the right one to to, to uh, talk about it because if I tell the facts as I know them, based on Steve Meal and Robin Pemberton and, uh, and and the events the way I saw them, um, you know, it it someone else may have not seen those events the same way. And I don't really like to talk about it, uh, you know, very much because I, I, I accept what happened. Uh, there wasn't anything I could do about it and it is what it is. And that's that long story short, uh, there was a rule in the rule book forever that you could run a two inch carburetor spacer maximum. Uh, but in, uh, 1990 at that time, uh, NASCAR had, been allowing people to weld, uh, extensions onto the top of the manifold. So you could make, you could make it as tall as you wanted. And, uh, uh, long story short, for some reason or other, our air cleaner didn't fit just right. Uh, getting ready to go to Richmond and Robin put a two and a half inch carburetor spacer on it because, uh, you know, they, if, if, if it would have, if he would have welded it on, it would have been legal. In other words, that the fact that it was bolted on and, and there was a complaint lodged by the second place, uh, car owner, um, you know, that's what got us. I mean, it, it would, it didn't get us. It was no, it was not a problem. Had not been a problem. We had done it in the past, you know, in the recent past, but you know, uh, technically, uh, that was a glitch. That was a glitch. If it had been welded on, it would have been legal. Next question from at Rev Art Rocks. Art Rocks be the third ask. This is uh, maybe easy, maybe not. Who is the toughest driver you raced against, and what made them so tough? You know, I don't like answering that question very often, you know, uh, because uh, – Wayne Brooks could have been, or Larry Carson could have been, or, uh, you know, many others that most people have never heard of. Uh, Larry Phillips was certainly incredible. Dick Trickle was certainly incredible. Uh, everybody likes to hear, uh, the answer, Dale Earnhardt. He was incredible. He beat you with a slower car and it really pissed you off. 
I mean, uh, I never, ever, ever once thought about out driving Dale Earnhardt. I knew I could beat him if I made my car enough better than his, but that was my challenge. And that's what I focused on. But Earnhardt certainly was the most, uh, most frustrating for me in my career because he would beat me with the, with a car that I, that was obviously slower than mine. Last question on the Twitter for episode three at Mark Martin pod. Make sure to send us more questions over time and we'll try to get to them in future episodes, but we're going to ask about the Bush days uh, at Robert uh, Wookie asks, can you tell us some stories of the Bush days and the Winn Dixie Ford? Oh man. You know, I like to think about, I knew the, the setup in that car all the time and, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about stories about it. I like, I, I just know that you couldn't outrun that car at Rockingham or Darlington or Charlotte period. And, uh, I ran uh 1800 pound right front spring and a 1200 left front and an inch eighth bar and a 400 right rear and a 350 left rear sp- spring and, and 10 and a half, 11 and a half track bar height. And usually about around 51.5 nose weight and around 50, 50% cross weight, 50 to 51% cross weight in, in, in that car. And, uh, always made sure we hung, hung a nice body on it. Uh, and it was just, man, it was crazy. I did have some epic battles with that car with Jimmy Spencer, uh, with Earnhardt, uh, with Jeff Gordon, um, shoot with Derek Cope. Um, there was a bunch of, a uh, bunch of guys that we had some epic races with, but that when Dixie, uh, the era of that when Dixie sponsorship in, uh, in the 60 car was, uh, was a time when we just really had our car, our bodies and our setups really refined and working. So once again, race fans, we are wrapping up the Twitter questions on episode three of the Mark Martin podcast. Again, you can send your questions to at Mark Martin pod in the future, and you can also follow Mark at Mark Martin. But after this break, we're going to get into story time here with Mark Martin, and we're going to talk about more setups, and we've got the spring story here on the Mark Martin podcast. You are listening to the Mark Martin podcast on the Accelerated Podcast Network. Looking for great prices, great selection, and factory service? Mark Martin Automotive has it. Mark Martin Ford, Kia, and Batesville. Mark Martin Chevrolet and Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Melbourne. Mark Martin Chevrolet, Buick GMC, and Ash Flat. That's over 650 vehicles. You can see them all at markmartinautomotive.com. Where does America go to watch races? IMCA.tv. Watch the biggest and best events at IMCA Live with a subscription. Replay hundreds of race archives. View exclusive on-demand content. Available on the web at www www.imca.tv or get the mobile app at the iOS and Google Play stores. IMCA.tv, the official broadcast partner of IMCA. All right, race fans, we're back into story time here on the Mark Martin Podcast. And Mark, you have an interesting story that you've wanted to bring up now since we started this podcast, and it involves a spring. So let's talk about this story that you've had waiting to go here on episode three. Well, the story is a lack of spring, not really a story of a spring, but the, the lack of, 
you know, today, uh, in today's age, most, uh, most asphalt cars run big right rear springs, huge right rear springs. Um, uh, and, uh, that wasn't really the story of the, of, of the era. And at the end of 79, I was, uh, living and racing out of Dillon Enterprises up in North Liberty, Indiana. And Ray said to me one day, he says, let's, uh, let's design a car for next year for you. And I'm like, okay, but we got to do this, this, and this, and we got to get a surface plate so that we can build a jig. And, and so we did all that, got us a, a plate and built us a jig and, and we revolutionized pretty much, uh, the short track asphalt, uh, car building, uh, business by building really lightweight, straight frame rail cars straight right frame rail cars, uh, really strong, uh, really lightweight, uh, coilover shock tubing, you know, front snouts, coilover shocks and rack and pinion steering. Um, you know, back then racing was speed was all about lightweight cars, uh, low center of gravity. And in my opinion, downforce motors didn't ma ma matter very much back then because everybody, everybody had one and they all ran okay. So where you beat people was really in the setup, mechanical grip. Um, and, and so we built this car and it was, a it was a very heavy, you know, really lightweight car. We were able to get, people were starting to pack on the left side weight on these cars so we were able to get 60%, 61%. Actually, my car was 62, 62.5% left side weight. And I ran 52% rear. So at 2,850 pounds, that left, rear, that left rear tire was almost 1,100 pounds. And a right rear was, you know, I don't know, 400 pounds uh, or so. And the car was, we, we, everywhere we ran the car, we broke the track record everywhere we went and, and every time we'd go back to that same track, we'd break the track record again because the car was too loose all the time. I mean, the car was always loose and we were always working to, to hook the car up, but it was already, it was faster than anything, but it still wasn't right. You know, I was still working and every Sunday morning when I'd go out to the trailer to get ready to unload the car to wash it, and put it in the shop, I'd notice when I'd go under the back of it to unhook the strap that the right rear spring wouldn't be touching the, the, the spring adjuster. It'd be about an inch away. And that's because, you know, we had so much wedge in the car that the spring would still touch when it was full of gas. But by the time the race was over and the gas burned off, it would lift off that spring. So it was starting to it was starting to get in my head after that happened about half a dozen times. I went under there and looked at that and I thought, you know, this thing's loose. And if it's getting up off that spring to me, that means it's all wedge until it starts to travel. And then when it starts to travel, that spring is pushing some bite out of the car and that's a problem. So at the time I really didn't know I, I we were running a 150 right rear spring and you know, I didn't think about putting a, a hundred in it or a 50. I didn't think they even made hundreds or fifties at the time. At the time, one, one fifty was the softest that anyone ever thought of running in the right rear. So I go to Winchester, which is a super high bank. It's like the Bristol of, uh, 
you know, of, of the ASA late models, um, super high bank, super fast, love that racetrack. And we take it there and we go down there to test before the fa- the 400 and, uh, the dry power 400. And this is 1980 and you know, it's loose. I'm down. I, I, we run a spool in the rear and I'm down to a half, actually down to a quarter inch, a rear stagger and the car's still loose. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I've got a 500 in the left rear for spring and a 200 in the right rear for spring. And I looked up under there. I've been screwing wedge in it, trying to get it tightened up. And I looked up underneath there and it was the spring adjuster was about an inch and a half away from the, from the spring. So I knew that when I went in the corner and it started compression, compressing that it would start pushing wedge out of the car. So I said, jack it up. Let's take this spring out. So we took the spring out because I, I mean, I, I, I would say I had, uh, I was pretty brave, put it this way. When it came to set up stuff, I, I wasn't afraid to try anything. And so we took the spring out of it and I went out on the racetrack and I didn't know, I didn't have a clue what it would do. And all that was there was a, the shock. And, uh, and I went out and I ran about 50 miles an hour and then I sped up more, sped up more and kept picking up speed. And pretty soon I ran through the corner pretty fast and the back of the car started dragging and the light bulb went off in my head like, dang, man, you, you got to put a 700 in the left rear. Cause you took 200 pounds of spring out of the right rear in order to hold it up. I'm going to have to put that over there. Let's put that 700 in over there. So, so came in, stuck a 700 in there and went out there and just absolutely it hooked it up and it was fast, unbelievable fast. Um, so I took it back home, put it on the scales and left rear weighed 1100 pounds and the right rear weighed 300 and about 370 with 62% left side weight. It was, uh, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. So we went back for the race with that car. And, uh, of course you, it was all about saving weight back then. And heck, if you take the spring out, that was a big, that was several pounds we took off the right rear of the car. So that was pretty cool. And, uh, nobody had ever run in, in, uh, ASA car late model, uh, faster than 1603 was the track record at the time. And, uh, we went out to qualify and ran a 1574 and a six, I think the outside pole was like a 1605 or something like that. So three tenths we had on the field and, uh, I wound up crashing a car with five laps to go going for the lead with Mike Eddy. Uh, but the car was super fast. We were overcoming a flat tire, I think under the green or something like that and had gotten behind and, uh, was trying to get back to the lead in a hurry. Uh, and so we didn't win the race, but, uh, we continued to have success with that car, uh, with that heavy left side and no right rear spring on the banks on the flat tracks. It wasn't necessary, and I didn't see it. It I didn't see it work that well, but we took the car, took that car to the, uh, to to the, uh, uh, to to I seventy, for uh, the four hundred there, and uh, you know that that race paid ten thousand to win at the time, uh, and so that was a big paying race in, in you know in the in that era. And we, we broke the track record there as well. 
and uh, and we won the race. And so, you know, always went to the pay shack, got our money before we went home because we had to. The shop was in North Liberty, Indiana. So I go to the pay shack and they happened to pay in cash that day. And they handed me a brown paper bag and, and had written happy birthday on it. And it was, I'm, I'm 21 years old now. And, uh, and, and my own car owner and, and, it, you know, running my own organization, I got three full-time employees, each guy making a hundred dollars a week cash. And so, uh, I grabbed that sack and I hold that sucker all the way back to Indiana. We stopped somewhere at a truck stop to, to, uh, get fuel and the guys were going to go in and eat and I wouldn't go in and eat. I stayed in the, I stayed in that truck holding my bag, bag of cash. And, uh, uh, it was just, it's just hard to, hard to believe when you look back on it. Uh, you know, the things that we did like at I 70 there, we ran a 700 and, uh, uh, a 600, a 700 in the right front and a 600 in the left front and a 600 in the left rear for Springs. And the only way you could adjust the car is change the rear stagger or, uh, preload or, uh, the front sway bar more preload or less preload. You could tighten the car up or loosen it up, but you couldn't change a wedge because there was no spring in the right rear. So it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, it made a pretty big splash. We, of course, we tried to keep people from knowing about it for a while, but anybody who looked, uh, at our car saw there was no spring on the right rear and people thought you couldn't race like that. You couldn't drive a car like that. And we were out breaking track records and, uh, and, and winning the cash with it. So it was, uh, it was a really, it's a t- one of those times in my career that I was really proud because I came up with something that was completely outside the box and different than anyone ever dreamed could work. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So, speaking of uh, the competition catching up and looking at that and thinking you can't race with that, with that said, when did somebody else start racing without that spring? When did they start copying your guys' setup? Well, the the very first race, the Winchester race, uh, Bob Strait had a Dillon car and uh, was a customer of Dillon's, and um, and and we gave the setup to Bob, and I think Bob sat on the outside pole and ran really really well because he had one of our Mark II chassis, and so I gave him the setup right away. Uh, I typically did that. I gave uh, our Dillon customer customers the setup. So, you know that year. Uh, uh, everybody had to buy one of those cars. I mean, everybody, everybody, Rusty Wallace, Dick Trickle, 
uh, heck, man, Daryl Waltrip, Neil Bonnet, uh, just rest of why everybody you can think of uh, had to have one of those cars. And, uh, and, you know, we had gave them their basic setups. Uh, and I had to share setup information because I was a house car. You know, I was a Dylan house car. I didn't have the money to, to be doing, you know, building those cars like that. And uh, Ray supplied me with two race cars in 1980 and, and two in 81 as well. So, um, you know, that was something that, that I, that was what I had to give back was set up information for those guys. And so, you know, heck, even, uh, Gary Ballou had to have a, ever, just everybody, because we won, gosh, we, I think we sat on a pole 11 or 12 times in ASA out of 15 races that year. And we had five first and five second place finishes. Seneca, Seneca, uh, I think won five times as well. Bob Seneca was unbelievable. He had some kind of crazy rear suspension on his car that he wouldn't let you see. And, and what you could see of it, you couldn't understand, but, uh, he, that, that, that Seneca was amazing, especially in 1980. Back to your short track days in the ASA. You speak very fondly of those days, uh, Wallace and Waltrip and all these competitors back in the early eighties. Um, ASA, where does it stand in your career? Uh, personally, it is the highlight of my career because I, my handprints were all over that those race cars, my own handprints. Like I hung the bodies, I painted the cars, uh, I set them up, uh, I ground on them for hours and hours and hours with grinders to save a quarter of a pound. Uh, I drilled holes, hole sawed frame rails. Uh, build a, built parts lighter and lighter and lighter. Um, I did the tires, picked them out from the tire truck, you know, put them in sets, measured them, staggered them up, put them in sets. And if we'd run a 400 lap race, I'd have like four sets of tires, uh, with the, the, the sizes taped on my dash. I'd have all four sets of tires, what size they were at what air pressure. So during the race, if I needed to make a chassis, set up, I could say, Hey, take set two left rear and put it in set three, uh, left rear and, you know, move those things around. And and those are the tires I want next time we stop or whatever that, you know, that was a time when I really had a, a pure connection with the car and, and, you know, have the most greatest pride of, of the success that I had because I had such a hand in it. You know, when I got to NASCAR racing, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a hand in it. Um, it was all the, the guys that worked on the cars, the guys that worked on the teams and later in the years, even, you know, it was engineers. It wasn't even crew chiefs. First, it was guys like Robin Pemberton and Steve Meal, uh, that were winning races, uh, you know, with their, with their hands, getting their hands dirty. And then it was Jimmy Finney and then it became more engineers, uh, you know, when it, when I went into the five car. So yeah, those were big wins. And that was what I'm recognized for is the success that I had in NASCAR. But, you know, the ones that are really dearest to my heart are the ones where I, you know, I set the cars up and, and, uh, and, and did my own tires and, and made all the chassis changes myself. Um, because, you know, it's competitive and that's where the races were won. I didn't win those races from the driver's seat. 
I won those races in the shop and in the in the pit area. So Mark was the crew chief and the driver in the ASA days. And Mark, in the next episode of the Mark Martin Podcast, episode four, we're going to talk about your first five NASCAR races. Let's give a little preview on that episode. Yeah, so in 1980, after we won the ASA championship and had just pretty much won everything in the country, that was three uh, years in a row that I'd been ASA champion. And I was 21 years old, and I thought I was ready to go NASCAR racing. So uh, I talked to Ray Dillon uh, about uh, helping me uh, build a car and finance a car. And I talked to another guy, Bud Reeder, out of Denver, Colorado, into paying for a, a car for us to build. And we built uh, we built. For 81, we built two short track cars, an ASA car and a uh, an Artgo style car. And then we built a Bush Grand National car, a uh, Speedway car to run uh, five Speedway races and one ARCA race. And we built a Cup car uh, to run five uh, Cup races. And that, uh, that would that way you could maintain your rookie of the year status. You're allowed to run five races. So my plan was to run those five cup races, maintain my rookie of the year status and run for, uh, run the full schedule in 82. And in the meantime, I'd keep, uh, keep some short track cars around so I could race every weekend that I wasn't at a NASCAR event, but I did run five Bush races as well. And one ARCA race. And, uh, so we had a big year in 1981, um, uh, race, doing all that racing out of North Liberty, Indiana. And, uh, the story about that cup car, especially is fascinating because the car was built, uh, like a, sh- like an ASA car, like a short track car. Uh, but it was built to the NASCAR spec, you know, to their rules. And so we put a lot of thought and method methods into that car that lend itself to short track racing and the guys that were racing NASCAR, they didn't use that methodology. They had evolved from NASCAR. First they were using street cars and they would race a street car and then they'd soup them up and then they'd hop them up, you know, and then, you know, one thing led to another. And so the cup cars in 1981 were, still pretty heavy and, and still pretty, uh, well, they were just heavy. I'll just say that. And, um, and didn't have, uh, a lot of, uh, short track technology built into them. And so our car was, uh, pretty spectacular. And we had one of the most amazing five races of my whole career was that first that first year you know in 1981 amazing stories all five races i got stories from all five races so it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about so we're going to get into that in episode four of the mark martin podcast again we want to thank the fans for tuning into the podcast you can go to markmartinpodcast.com and catch it on the website you can also catch it on apple podcasts or itunes google play stitcher 
and Spreaker. You can also follow at Mark Martin Pod at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also follow Mark's uh, Twitter at Mark Martin. But Mark, this wraps up episode number three of the Mark Martin Podcast. We're going to get to episode number four again. Race fans, go to markmartin.com, get your merchandise, the retro Valvoline t-shirt, the Yeti tumbler, all the good things, markmartin.com. And Mark Martin Appreciation Day is coming up on April 27th and 28th in Batesville, Arkansas. Thank you for subscribing and listening to the Mark Martin Podcast. Remember to give us a five-star rating in your app store. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MarkMartinPOD. The Mark Martin Podcast is a production of the Accelerated Podcast Network.